If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. So today we're talking about um, using student questions to create your storylines or to build a better storyline. And this is a topic that Erin actually presented um, at the California Science Teachers Association conference. So she's kind of leading the way here. I am not good at relinquishing control of anything. So I tend to have the questions I want students to get to and do everything in my power to guide them toward those questions. So I'm excited to learn from Erin about how I can instead use what my students are saying to build like that better storyline. So, all right, Erin, teach us. Sweet, sounds good. So um, the whole idea for, for this like presentation came from this quote um, that I got from nextgenstorylines.org, which is that um, a storyline is a coherent sequence of lessons in which each step is driven by student questions that arise from their interactions with phenomena. The storyline provides a coherent path towards building disciplinary core ideas, cross-cutting concepts piece by piece, anchored in students' own questions. And I think that when I first started doing NGSS, um, I ran into several things like that. And I just thought, how am I going to do that? Like, that's insane to like, think about the possibility of having students ask questions one day and presenting them with um, like the ability to figure it out the next day. And I spent a lot of time thinking about this. So I have a couple of cheats that I use that um, I'll share with you guys. Awesome. So okay, so this is, I just want to like button real quick because we always say like planning an NGS lesson takes time and you need to plan way in advance and things like that just to make it easier on yourself. So you're basically saying that, I mean, you're, you're not, you're saying there are some things that you can do, so you still built the backbone, but there are still things that you can do to better incorporate those student questions, right? That's where we're going at. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, it does require a bunch of planning, but, um, but NGSS, NGSS is inquiry-based, so students should be coming up with the questions that you're investigating as often as possible. Yes. Okay, awesome. Now teach, teach more. <laughs> Sweet. So um, I think that the first thing that you really need to do is to have really great phenomena and that if your phenomena is awesome, it will lead students to ask a bunch of great questions. Um, and um, 
so I think that that phenomena is really that key piece um, that you need to make sure that it's relatable to students and have all of those components that we've talked about over and over again with um, discussing phenomena. And um, I work mostly solo, so I've had to figure out ways to like think about phenomena without just like like thinking about phenomena just by myself. So like a lot of times I'll think something is really cool and it's not, you know, like <laughs> not relatable to students at all. Um, and I don't have a team of science teachers that I work with every day. Um, all of the other teachers who teach eighth grade science are not at my site. So, um, so I'm by myself. So one of the things that I like to do when I think that I have a really good phenomena is I present it to a non-science teacher or somebody in my family. Um, and I ask them to ask me questions about it. So, um, so like, uh, we just got done doing um, a storyline that was based on like the dinosaurs disappearing. And um, so I presented, um, I, I got this like video that introduced like the impact from the asteroid and um, I presented it to like my husband and my daughter and I asked them to ask me questions, um, which, you know, my husband loves that so much. <laughs> <laughs> Putting him to work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then I have some initial questions to work with and I can use those questions to start building my storyline. I think that's a great idea because we as science teachers have a wealth of science background knowledge and and interest in science and so when we see a phenomena we are obviously drawing from all of those ideas that we already have so sometimes the questions that we generate might be beyond what our students might generate or they might not see the connection that we're seeing mm -hmm. and that we're hoping that they will make um and also, we're just probably more on like the science nerdy side. So you want to find something that can even reach the not so nerdy science people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think it's super important to, um, it's, it's a good idea to do it anyway, even if you do have a science team, because your science teachers will ask completely different questions than what um, your students will ask. And I think that if you've been working with kids for kind of a long time, you know, the types of questions that they're going to ask, but if you're new to teaching or, you know, mm -hmm. something like that, like, or maybe you've been doing it for a really long time. So you, you like, you have this like pre preconceived idea of what the questions are going to be. Yeah. It's really good to bring in somebody else to kind of talk to you about a phenomenon. Yeah. I like, I like that a lot. Okay. So then what you choose your really awesome phenomena, you yeah. are thinking about the questions that students might might ask, what are some other things that you do to really make sure you're building your storyline from their questions? Yeah, so I basically, I take those questions and I build um, like an initial storyline. Um, then the next thing that I do is when I present that phenomenon to my students, I write down all of their questions um, or I have them write down all of their questions and I collect them. Um, so this might not necessarily help me in the short term, but it will help me when I'm editing my storyline, like over the summer or, you know, on break or whatever, um, I can pull in some of the questions that they have and make my storyline a little bit better. Okay. That's awesome. That kind of ties to, and I've seen a lot of people like create these driving question boards in their classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, 
which is basically, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It can literally just be like a bulletin board or a poster or, I mean, it could be a digital thing. It could be a page in their notebook, whatever. But where they write down like the entire class's questions. And then I'm assuming like then the goal throughout the unit is like as those questions are answered, students can check off that they did it and write their answer or show how that connects back to the big idea or the phenomenon or whatever. Yeah, so we... um in my school, we're required to write essential questions every day, and they can be the same essential question, you know, for weeks on end or, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to be just for that day, but I use those student questions as my essential question whenever I can. So, um, so a lot of times um, I'll be using, you know, like one of those questions that were generated from my husband or whatever, <laughs> um, but then a lot of times I can swap those questions out for the ones that my students have actually asked. So there's a lot of the same questions that will get o asked over and over again. So you can kind of like credit your students with um, with asking that question, even if like the original idea for that question in your storyline came from somewhere else, if that makes sense. That's such a good idea. Cause then you're obviously probably creating way more buy-in and like just building their confidence mm -hmm. that, you know, that they've had a valuable input into the lesson or the unit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, I have, just like you were talking about, I have like my whiteboard up at the front of the class and it has like our essential question and I leave some post-its for the kids. Um, and I ask them to write down their questions and then I always ask them to put their name on it. So, um, so that when I'm writing my essential question, if their essential question shows up, um, as our central question for, you know, the lesson sequence, then I always write their initials next to it to credit them. And they love that. Like they love, you know, the notoriety of yeah, the recognition of that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, what you've really done is you still have those same questions that you start, you created yourself when you started with, but you're just kind of tricking yeah. this a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, but you're recognizing that they also have made those same connections that you did and are understanding how it's going to build toward that big idea um, and just giving them the credit for it. Yeah. So then the last thing that I do since I have collected those questions and since I am um, collecting those questions over time, I try to build in some places in my lesson sequence where I can um, go back and look at those questions that I didn't anticipate. Mm -hmm. So um, I do pivot, you know, from my original plan quite a bit, but um, but I do it in a way that builds in that time. So I still go through my lesson sequence, but then I, but then I like try to figure out where that question will fit and hope, you know, try to do it like a couple of weeks down the road so that I have some time to, to build um, a lesson sequence around that question. But then I am using a new question to improve that storyline. Gotcha. That's awesome. So could you also use those student questions as kind of like extension projects or like elaboration projects sometimes too? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, we have a, a couple of kids who, you know, like are early finishers and stuff like that. Yeah. Who, um, that's always a really good place to start. Um, as they get better at using the science and engineering practices, then they can kind of present you with some sort of proposal or, um, you know, something like that for how they're going to investigate that. Because I think that they're um, so used to just being able to Google an answer that they, yes. they just want to like present you with like a research <laughs> paper. Yeah. So, um, so 
kind of building that capacity to plan an investigation or to research data or, you know, something like that um, before you're kind of allowing them to go off on their own, because then I think you, you might just be building in those same habits that those right. are good at. Yeah, I love the idea of having them do like a proposal before like an extension kind of thing. Yeah, so they're not just going and Googling and copying what they found. You want them to actually use the practices to discover the answer. Right, and then there's also, you know, like there's always that idea of like if they're planning their own investigation, they're going to like blow up your classroom or something, you know, like they're going to chemical together and or, you know, just do something, you know, like like do an investigation that requires materials that you don't have or something like that. So having them do a proposal that really makes it a lot more structured and you can kind of control, you know, like what they're doing and provide them with some alternatives. If, you know, like you don't have giant beakers or something in your classroom that they need. Nice. So do you have any other, any more for using student storylines or was that I think that that's just about it. I think that like this idea that you don't have to do it all the time is really important. Like you don't have to exclusively use student questions that were asked the day before is really helpful. Um, I think that swapping out those questions is really helpful. And then I think building that capacity in yourself to be willing to make an adjustment to your lesson sequence is is really huge. Well, I love that too, that, so I, again, you know, I like I don't like to give it control because I like to make sure I'm moving in the right direction. I'm making, you know, my timeliness, I'm keeping an eye on, you know, the calendar, all of those things. But so I love how these are kind of smaller pivots or changes. It's not like, okay, this student's question is going to totally throw out my entire unit I had planned. It's more like working them into what you've already kind of developed. And then as you're you know, the next time I teach it, maybe I will do some big changes, but it's not like I have to make last minute changes just to, to incorporate every single question that was asked. Well, and I think that this is like really how you go from having like a good storyline to having a great storyline is making these little adjustments over time. That's true. Yeah. Because each time I, yeah, I have nothing to add. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I do that to my husband all the time. I'll be, he'll say something to the kids and I, for some whatever reason, feel like I need to echo it. And I am trying to teach myself to know you don't have to echo it. You don't have to have the last word. It's okay. My <laughs> husband does that. He's like, well, I just want to back you up. And I'm like, uh, I, I think she heard me the first time. Yes, I know. I'm just so bad about that. I'm really trying to work on it. So anyway, I kind of caught my, almost caught myself there. <laughs> okay. Aaron is going to have the last word. <laughs> Oh, okay. What? Uh, I don't know what to say. Um, <laughs> uh, I need more coffee. All right. Erin um, is the expert in student questions. So if you have questions for her about using student questions, connect on our Instagram, our podcast Instagram page, or even her page. We'll put all the links in the show notes for Sadler Science, for Explore Science, and for Teaching Science in 3D Podcast. And, and that's where you can follow up on questions. Yeah. And, and I'll also, sorry, I'll link to my, um, to my presentation for CSTA as well. So that you guys can take a look at that if you want some more details. Yes. That sounds awesome. Thanks so much for tuning in guys. And Aaron's going to say goodbye because I'm, I'm seriously going to give up the last word today. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. 
While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner.